and welcome to A Court of Three Strands, the Palatine Institute's podcast on creating Christian culture. Through this show, we hope to provide a resource of education and encouragement for students, parents, and leaders about the revival of Christian values in our community. On A Court of Three Strands, we'll focus on the three foundational strands that make a strong, flourishing Christian culture, the church, the family, and education. We desire to order these things around God's word to advance Christ's kingdom and so glorify him and bless our community. My name is Ron Young, former headmaster at Providence Academy and founder of the Palatine Institute. And I'm Allison Tuttle, a wife and mother and the director of the Palatine Institute. Through our conversations, we look forward to sharing fellowship, knowledge, and practical wisdom for his glory here on A Court of Three Strands podcast. Without further ado, let's get on with the show. Welcome back to A Court of Three Strands, the Peltine Institute's podcast on creating Christian culture. Today, we have um, a special guest to introduce you to. Her name is Cheryl Swope. Uh, Cheryl is the author of a book called Simply Classical, A Beautiful Child, uh, excuse me, A Beautiful Education for Any Child. And she has also um, homeschooled both of her um, children who have special needs classically and um, has created a curriculum that is preschool through 12th grade level. And so Cheryl, welcome. We are so thankful to have you here today. Thank you very much. Yeah, we're very excited to have you. Your book is a wonderful book. I already confessed to Cheryl that I haven't finished it, but what I've read is great. And I've heard you speak uh, several times on this topic. So what I want to do is just start with a, a very leading question and and let you take it from there and talk to us about how you educated your children, how this all came about in terms of uh, classical education for special needs. Um, but in your book, you state this, the humanity of any child must determine the education he receives. Wonderful quote. Can you um, take us through that? Yes, there is a lot there, of course. I think that much of what I think about is in contrast to some of the teacher training that I received in a state university in special education. I have a master's degree in special ed and learning disabilities. My undergrad was in behavior disorders. I saw it probably in a more pronounced way, this um, contrasting view of the child in my undergrad training with the behavior disorders because there was a lot of emphasis on Skinner, the Skinnerian approach, operant conditioning and such things. So with, um, with that as a backdrop, I just knew having been raised as a Christian by Christian parents, Christian grandparents, I just knew that there was something more to that person other than his external demonstrable, measurable behaviors or even skills. So that, that led me to think about education in a broader way and um, still going back in my own history. Back in the 80s, I saw a woman, I believe it was on television or it might have been in a film. Her name is Marva Collins. She led a... Um, 
a school. She started a school, founded a school because she was seeing similar things that the, the way that children were approached or treated or labeled in the traditional school setting, the public school setting was less than satisfying to her. So she started this school in the inner city of Chicago with children who had been labeled at that time mentally retarded, now we call it intellectual disability, also learning disabled, emotionally disturbed. And surely a lot of those children had a lot of different challenges. But what she did is she taught in a way that made sense to her. She taught them Shakespeare and Dickens. She taught Latin. When she taught them to read, she taught phonics. She insisted that all of them become as eloquent as possible. So she had debate, early rhetoric, all of those things going on in her little classroom with these children that no one would have thought at the time should be the recipients of an elite or um, deep, rich, human, humane education. So that got my attention and just planted yeah. seeds mm-hmm. for me. She was very influential in that in that sense. And there's a movie, it's called The Marvin Marva Collins Story. It is a DVD, I'm sure it's streamable now. And Cicely Tyson plays Marva Collins. I own it. It's it's just inspirational to me just to remember what one woman could do with one group of children way back when no one else was doing yeah. this. So um, from there, this, op- I think, opened yeah. my receptivity, if you will, to classical Christian education, which then in the 90s started to make its reemergence, as you know. And also in the 90s, I married. Mm-hmm. My husband and I could not have children um, biologically, if you will. So we were looking into adoption, knowing that we had been adopted into God's kingdom. It just seemed the um, it just seemed a picture of that through no merit or worthiness of our own. We had been adopted in Christ. We wanted to adopt children into our family. Well, given my background, the workers knew that I was not afraid of special needs. So. Along came twins, a little boy and a little girl. They were babies, just one year old, and they needed a home. They both had developmental delays. They were at high risk for learning disabilities and also mental illness, namely schizophrenia. Their biological mother had this, and likely the biological father had mental illness as well. So into our lives and our home came these little babies. I, I worked with them every day in a lot of therapeutic ways that I had learned, but I, we also just read books, we sang songs, we, we played, we, we had a language-rich, a faith-rich um, early childhood approach. That's, what, that's just what we did, and we, we saw the fruits of that. I was also at that time learning about classical Christian education and began wondering, as they were about four, could they go to a school, a classical Christian school? Well, there was only one in our entire St. Louis area. I approached them and they said, 
No, <laughs> no, no, we cannot take your children. The needs are far too great. We're just not equipped. So at that time, I believe they were not, honestly, because back then everyone was just trying to figure out what is classical Christian education? How do you do this with the average child or the gifted child, let alone children who struggle? So it was really good that they were honest and it led us to homeschool a year at a time, I thought, but we ended up homeschooling all the way through because there never became a better setting. So now with all of that as background, my, my dream, my hope is to equip existing schools or help anyone who wants to start schools with a classical Christian education for children with special needs, because I don't believe that we should base the education on their diagnoses or their failings, their limitations, their weaknesses. And I certainly don't think we should track them as if there's no hope for improvement. There's no hope for uh, richness in spite of lower achievement. I, I think that we, we have access to yeah. so much like testing and everything that, that then it can become pretty dismal in terms of the, the perceived prognosis. I was told, as so many parents are told, you know, your child will never read or, or they'll hit a ceiling at a certain age. I was told third grade would be my daughter's ceiling. And she went on to study formal Latin, write published books of poetry. And, um, and I, I believe that had I taken the traditional approach, which is more behavioristic, more deterministic, and then also more progressive, if you will, that you, namely you get out of the way, you don't teach, you just facilitate their kind of inner flourishing, all of those kinds of romantic notions and all of those things are just all part of the teacher training that I received. But for me, a classical Christian education, that was a breath of fresh air and it allowed me the freedom to approach them as human beings. Yes. Can I, I just want to, I think this, this is still an issue. I think with even um, people in the classical Christian movement that, that the goal in mind is, is a good human, Mm -hmm. right? That, um, it, it's not, uh, and we talk about excellence a lot and, and we, and what we mean by excellence is an excellent person, you know, someone made in the, the image of God and we are, we are making them or, or working on training them in virtue. And, um, and, and I think people still get in their mind that a classical Christian education means making an excellent scholar or, um, or even in a pragmatic way that they're going to be able to achieve a certain level so that they can be marketable. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's such a, um, it's such a hard concept to get into people's minds that that's not what we're doing. Right. It's, it's about, um, it's an education to, to develop 
good people. Yes. Right. And, um, and I think that initially it was really important that we emphasize academics in recovering a classical education because the academics had been so diminished. They'd been so watered down, no longer teach spelling. There's no reason to, you have spell check, no longer teach cursive, no longer should you teach rules of any kind, including grammar rules. No longer do you need to have memorization that that's rote memory. That's bad. And all of that was just drummed into us. So we did have to really work hard to reclaim in the movement an approach on academics and the freedom to have an academic based school, which seems so silly (laughs) because that's of course what school always was. (laughs) But then, yes, but then we swung the pendulum a little, so a little too far where we, we, I I think lost, lost our way a little bit. And it did become not only perceived elitist, but it, it became, Yes, targeted more toward developing classical scholars. So Tracy Lee Simmons in his book, Climbing Parnassus, makes a distinction between classical scholars, which are rare birds, he he quips, um, that I think he says something like, and um, thank God it is so, or something, And versus a classical education, (laughs) which we're not democratizing this. We're not lowering the standards. That's not what we're doing by saying that children with special needs can benefit. What we're doing is raising the standards across the board for everyone. And saying that, yes, everyone can benefit from that Mm -hmm. classical education approach, which, yes, like you say, the, the outcome is that you will have an individual who seeks noble service to others in his life, no matter his abilities, that's a God-given understanding of a vocation, that, that um, reformational understanding that every, every act of service, whether it's changing a, a diaper or assisting an elderly person, all of those acts of service are noble and worthy. We want every child to be able to to smile at someone or speak when spoken to, or at least wave if they're not able to speak or, or something to think about other people. And what I've found in my own children's lives, they're now 28, by the way, and they still live with us due to all of their disabilities. But this is, it's good for them. It's, it would not be good for them to think only about their failings, their weaknesses, their their limitations. That would be a dreadful existence. Um, in fact, there's a fairy tale that we read, my husband yeah. and I read to our children long ago. It's called The Little Lame Prince. And I recommend that to anyone, The Little Lame Prince. And what it is, there's this little prince who was hidden up in a tower because his legs were crippled. So he was a prince, but he was um, he was seen to have brought shame to, he just wasn't worthy to live in the castle. So he was cast aside to a tower and a nurse cared for him 
day by day. Well, he would look out the window and he would see little boys running and and he said to the nurse, I would like to run with them. And she just would change the subject and, and walk away. Well, finally, a fairy godmother comes. The fairy godmother does two things. The first, she brings him a magic carpet so that he can sail around and see the world, even though he doesn't have the legs to do so. But she also says to the little boy, your legs are not like those of other children. This is why you cannot run. And he says, well, no one ever told me that. And she says, I tell you because I love you. And then she adds, but your life can be happy nonetheless. That's kind of our message for our children. Yes, you have limitations. And just like in classical education, know thyself. That's, that's a basic tenet. We all need that. We all need to know ourselves, our own. We all have weaknesses. But then that's when we lean on each other. That's when community is so important and we're able to receive, but we're also able to give. So um, my daughter, for example, she's a very cheerful person. So her first paid position was the activities aid at a nursing home. She cheered the residents. She helped them with their bingo cards. She, um, if they wanted to pay her, you know, oh, you get the two quarters that I won. No, no, those are yours. We did this together, you know. <laughs> um, and she has autism, so she speaks. She speaks very loudly and clearly. She has that um, that particular. Um, characteristic of some children with autism. So that that volume and the clarity was perfect in that setting, of course. And um, and then yeah. when COVID hit, activities were canceled. She did not have a job. So she took on a lot more of the domestic things in our house during that time, which was a big help to me. Now she's working at a coffee shop for children with special needs. Um, well, they hire, not children, they hire young adults with special needs. And the, the coffee shop is a favorite place in our town for people who just want to linger. They don't mind if the service is a little slower because it's very friendly service. And that's, that's where she works. It's only three hours a week, but it makes such a difference to her that she contributes to the household and she serves her regular customers and she continues to write poetry and, um, you know, and my son too. Yeah. But so I've seen it. I've just seen it that it's, these are flourishing lives despite an astonishing list. You just would not believe the, the diagnoses, all the conditions, all the medical conditions, all of the specialists and everything that, that they see, but that's not the purpose. Those that becomes a means to an end like getting them healthy and having the, the things that they need, that's just the means to the end, just like an, a good education is to then serving others in their lives to the glory of God. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I, and I think that's a vision that I think is often missed that they are human. Every education <laughs> is, is determined on the, the fact that they are human and, and being in 
God's image. And um, this is how he's made us. And that is to serve, to love God with all that we are and to love others uh, as ourselves, to, to you know, love your neighbor. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a wonderful testimony. I, I have, um, I have some experience in um, working with um, developmentally delayed folks and um, part of it was an advocacy aspect of it and trying to help, um, you, you know, the, the sad cases where you have a, a, a parent who wants to keep their child um, dependent so they can live off their SSI type of, of things. And, and the, the, the cruelest thing to me was to see them happily employed in the service of others and, and contributing. And then, you know, about the time, yeah, we, we can put you in a, a, a better place or, a, you know, to, to flourish. Um, and then to have all of a sudden, you know, more medication so that they, they lose their job and now they're back into this. In, in other words, the amount of callousness, I think, towards people who have, um, who are different um, in those, those needs is uh, remarkable in our society in general. And I think, um, uh, especially as our audience is a Christian uh, culture, uh, we we have to understand our our need to have an inclusion and a vision for those who have uh, disabilities, and and how we it's our responsibility um, to see them uh, grow in the admonition and the nurture of the Lord as well. And uh, I'm saying that also as a, an elder in a church, um, and to to. And, and instead of, I, I guess, the response I think often happens is we're not equipped and we don't have money. And and so then that ends the conversation rather than how can we, how can we make something work? How do we, how do we do this? And, and I think your, your book, I think, um, is opening up a lot of people's eyes. I, I'm hoping that it becomes, um, uh, a desired part of every Christian school yes. is, is that they're able to, to serve. Yes. And I think that we do see this across the nation and really the globe that this is, this is a movement that is expanding. And as soon as you use the word inclusion, I know that there are some people who think, Oh no, you know, you want me to have, this child with autism in my classroom, I really am not equipped for that. Or I already have so many. The The idea of, um, and first, I really try to avoid that word because it's yeah, been hijacked. I, I understand. <laughs> so like, I just like integration, <laughs> yeah. you know, or right. Um, we just want to, we want to integrate children with special needs and it's not that there's a big cutoff either. There's a, a whole spectrum of children who kind of struggle with learning. And this is just a normal part of being a child is you have strengths and weaknesses. And at what point are they in need, those children in need of a, a separate education? Yes. That's a different question, but it's one that schools can address that it can be that they may only need that for reading and math or eventually Latin and math, or they may only need that 
just for a few years, and then they're able to integrate after their reading has been has been strengthened or those basic things have been strengthened. There's just so many ways to integrate and teach children with special needs within a classical Christian school. We're starting to see that. We're starting to see that all over. But but to your point that there is um, almost a there can be a cruelty, there can be an ignorance, there can be a fear, there can be uh, excuses made. I think that's because we're not seeing these people right. as people. Often when you when you meet the actual people, the personalities and everything that comes with that person, that that just changes it changes your mind, opens your heart. We we do challenger basketball or baseball. We do challenger basketball in the winter, but challenger baseball in the spring and summer. And um, I had the opportunity to help line up all the children to get on deck. Well, um, for batting because the organizers were not there, and I realized this was so much more fun than sitting on the sidelines and just cheering them on. Because I got to know, I got to know them. There was one girl that had a cheer. She had, she was autistic, um, is autistic. So she loves rhymes. A lot of our children with autism just love rhyme, which is wonderful. It helps their language so much. So she made a cheer for all the ones who are nonverbal. So she, and it, boy, is she loud. So she will <laughs> cheer them on. There's one girl, she always likes a purple bat. So I would know that when she comes to bat, she wants the, the pretty purple one. She's probably in her forties, but you can't tell she's a little girl at heart. And it just, um, I, there's just so much to be gained by introducing not only our other children, the classmates to people with various disabilities, but, but also the adults letting people know you've been trained to be fearful. You've been trained to think mm -hmm. that only experts can teach someone with a developmental disability. It's really not true. And it doesn't require patience above all, you know, people think, oh, you just must be so patient. No, it's just that you're a little bit more knowledgeable. You know what the child needs, so then you provide it. And if you have to break it down further to see success and celebrate those smaller successes, well, you can do that. And most teachers, if they think about it with their own children, they did that when they taught shoe tying or manners or, um, how to use a utensil or any, any of those things. We've all, we've all done that. And even people who are not parents have done that with uh, maybe elder, their own elderly parents or um, nieces or nephews or whomever. So I do think we need to demystify the, the notion that children with special needs can, um, can only be taught by experts. We need to debunk that actually. And, um, and in, then in doing so, we also need to encourage our teachers that, that you're far more capable than you think that you are. And so I saw this actually firsthand, my first assignment 
out of grad school was to work in a public school district. I, I oversaw the behavior disorders realm for 12 elementary schools. We were emptying two of the self-contained classrooms because at that time, mainstreaming was the, the new innovative approach to special needs, realizing that children really do need to be around people with good language models, good um, character models, in, instead of always being with, <laughs> with children who have, say, conduct disorders, it, it really is going to expand their horizons. That was the thinking for the mainstreaming. So when, when I would work as a very young teacher, I was only I think 23, 24, I was working with all of these experienced teachers. And I did find that structure and nurture, those were the two keys that were going to help a teacher be successful. But more than anything, it was a willingness. I'll just make this work. Yes, I'll take Richie. You know, I know his mom or I have had his, his brother or something like that. I'll take Richie and we'll figure it out. And, and then I would go and I would observe and give some suggestions. But the main thing was she wanted it to work. So for first grade, little Richie had a perfect setup because the teacher was willing to communicate with the parents, willing to support the little boy, place him in the classroom where she needed to place him, work with him a little bit after school if he couldn't figure out his math. And it, it just would work. And then conversely, the the people that just said no and and really did not want to see me coming down the hall mm. of the school <laughs> those people i knew you know it's just best not to do this there's just no reason to make her miserable to make the child miserable i saw that it would that they would take it out on the child and that so that was not good but if there's a willingness and also what I saw too very quickly was that it was usually the principal in our schools, we would say headmaster, but it, that person set the tone. So if that person, if he was meeting with me and the teacher and he was saying, of course, we would love to have Amanda. We understand that she has been through so much and we will make it work and I will support this teacher. So if you have any trouble, you contact me. All of that willingness went a very long way to making to making that program so successful that we ended up having it be a model for the rest of our state. And I spoke with the Council for Exceptional Children at that time. That was in the in the eighties. But um, but that was the key. That was the key to making it work. And I am not saying that every child should be in a traditional classical Christian education classroom at all. We're also seeing standalone classical Christian programs for children with special needs that are just delightful. There is something wonderful that happens when everybody has something identifiable and, and there's kind of, well, my son called it a camaraderie. He, he tried to fit in in scouts and sports and, and whatnot, and, and it was always difficult for him. And then when he found this, these challenger folks that he can hang out with, then 
he said, there's a camaraderie mm-hmm. here that I've never had before. So there would be like, I, I have bipolar. What do you have? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I would, they, that's how the conversation <laughs> would open. And then, oh, really cool. I do too. And let's go play catch. And, then, <laughs> and also too, there's, um, there's that celebration of, of achievement. So in the baseball, in this little baseball microcosm, we see it where my son will come up to the plate and where before in all the other settings where children were far more coordinated and athletic than my child with developmental coordination delays. Um, now when, when Michael steps up, the, the pitcher, who's great with all these kids, has um, he's father of a child with Down syndrome. Um, so he'll, he'll announce to the, the outfield, Michael's up to bat, <laughs> big hitter, everybody back, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and he, my son's already 6'2", but it's like he's taller all <laughs> of a sudden just with that, yeah. that support. And then, of course, he'll help others. He... Um, so he was the catcher because he's just a little bit more able than the others. So when we were short staffed, he served as the catcher this last Saturday. But and again, we get back to the the role of service. But but in the classical Christian world, I do believe that we need to think very broadly about what can work in your school, in your classroom, in, in your vision, it can be that you, you add one student who might be struggling and you pair him with, with a stronger student, or maybe you have a volunteer aide. You spoke to the need for money. You don't have to hire necessarily people with master's degree in special ed or occupational therapists or physical therapists. There are workarounds for a lot of those things. And uh, one of my roles right now, I work with the Classical Latin School Association as a consultant to consult with schools, startup schools or existing schools. And I am happy to help in any way I can to help a school to figure out how how we can make this work, yeah. even even if it's just for three or four more students that that we would otherwise send away to the public school, that's really my my big thing. We don't want to split up families if we don't have to, and we certainly don't want to relegate our children with special needs to an education that's going to undermine their faith right. for a lifetime. Yeah, and that 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 had been my part part of my experience is how many, you know, families who'd come and they check out our school and then they, you know, with our limited resources and and trying to make things go and and they'd realize well our our one child with special needs isn't going to fit here or make it here and so the whole family ends up not enrolling and you know things like that and it just it it always just just killed me you know we um but we're getting to a point we we have to we we have to address it and we have to do things and uh and it, it just takes a will and that sounds really basic but if people are willing to do something then things will happen yes 
Cheryl, can I ask you a question? Um, one of the takeaways um, amongst a myriad of, of them from your book um, as a parent of children with, uh, or a child with special needs was just um, the, the value that the type of this education provided for the mind of your children or the minds of your children. Could you talk a little bit about that? Like one of the, one of the things I um, remember is when you talked about teaching um, your children logic um, as a means of helping them sort out their disordered thinking um, or, or teaching them Latin um, as a means of helping them with their language. Could you talk a little bit more about that? I just thinking about parents um, in a similar situation to myself who might be thinking, well, this sounds nice, but is it actually going to meet their educational needs? Yes. I'm really glad that you brought it back to academics, Allison, because we are in no way diminishing academics when we're talking about a classical Christian education. In fact, we want to bring that the excellence of academics to our children, and sometimes that's not happening in other settings. So, yes, this is actually this is what invigorated me when I started seeing achievement that I didn't think was possible with my own children. When I was um, not to belabor the point, but when I was in teacher training, I was taught no phonics. Um, let them spell words the way they think they should be spelled. You don't want to, um, you know, you don't want to crush their creativity and, and all of that. So I had really pulled back from the idea that as a teacher, I could teach. <laughs> Which I went into teaching because I loved teachers as a kid and I wanted to be a teacher. But then in your teacher training, you're told to be a facilitator, not really a teacher. And, and you're just, um, you're, you're kind of rendered powerless. Well, I shouldn't even line them up in lines. I shouldn't impose this or that. And so then in cl here comes classical Christian education to say, yes teach them things, teach them things worth learning, read them books, teach them how to read books for themselves, have them memorize things that are wonderful and, and rich, like the scriptures, but also things that are necessary, like their multiplication facts, so then they can do higher math if they're able later. So I had this complete turnaround, really back to common sense that, um, that my, say my grandma would have said from the beginning, well, of course in school you should learn things. So then this gave me the freedom <laughs> to teach. So we just, we, I taught nursery rhymes. So when they were little, they learned nursery rhymes by heart. We acted them out. We incorporated their physical therapy goals with like jumping over the candlestick when we learned, um, we learned our nursery rhymes. And yes, then eventually they learned to read, thanks be to God. And um, reading was so important to us that that was just, that was just a glorious moment, especially for my daughter her learning disabilities were so profound and her language disorders so profound that I didn't know if she was going to be able to, to learn to read. But 
she does read quite well now. In fact, her um, her favorite thing to read, if she really wants to dive deeply, which is what we we recommend. I mean, not recommend, we encourage strongly in our house is on the weekends, you dive deeply into things. So her deep dive reading is almost always Shakespeare. Some play, she loves seeing them performed, but she also loves reading them. A lot of people only like Shakespeare in the theater, but she truly loves and just, you can hear her chortling upstairs at the, the humor and all of that. Oh, that's amazing. That's it's, it's wonderful. And c- kind of give us the, the timing of it, right? So part, part of it is also not putting it on the same, every human being develops differently too, right? So it's the, the expectations aren't trying to compare our, your students with other people, their age. Cheryl, we're going to, um, we will put that web address on our show notes and, um, if, if people in our audience are um, interested in the Simply Classical material, please go to that website, um, pick up her book, um, Simply Classical, that's um, from, I think, through Memorial Press, correct? Yeah, Memorial Press. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and, and through the website, would they be able to get a hold of you? Wonderful. We'll put that address also on our show notes. So Cheryl, thank you for all your work and thank you for taking uh, time to, to be with us. And uh, we're, we're very excited to, uh, to see this growth in, in uh, around our country. And um, I'm sure you'll be hearing more from Allison and I. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We're, we're thankful for you, Cheryl, and, and the work that you are doing on behalf of this population. All right. Thank you. 